welcome to another episode of Storytelling with Carissa. And I know by now you have an impression that this is just going to be about reading stories for all of you, especially for my students. But I would just like to highlight, I can also release special episodes where I would like to discuss content for my students and for the rest of my listeners as well. And as I have mentioned, I'm currently teaching mythology and folklore. So um, there will be times when, aside from the stories which I will be sharing, which is going to be weekly, of course, on a weekly basis, I will also be publishing episodes meant to further discuss areas in literature, especially when it comes to mythology and folklore. And right now, we are discussing Philippine literature. So I've already started discussing Philippine literature in our class, but I would like to focus more on Philippine folktales. And um, before I discuss further topics about or areas about Philippine folktales, I would just like to give an acknowledgement to my resource for um, this content, which is the work of Professor Damiana L. Eugenio. She is the mother of Philippine folklore, and this is based on her work, Philippine Folktales, an introduction. So basically, I will be giving an overview as to the classifications of folktales and some of the folktales that we know in the Philippines. It has been established that it is really difficult to study Philippine literature because of the geographical features of our country. We have developed different stories, of course, different languages across our country, the, the Philippines being an archipelago. So, before, the struggle was to really make sure that all of these stories are put together and we get to preserve them so that the next generations will still be able to know these stories, whatever their purposes are, of course. It would be important to be able to preserve them. And before the Spanish colonization, of course, the struggle was to have the means to preserve this. That's why it would always be important to take note that our ancestors passed the stories through storytelling. And whatever it is that they were able to preserve by sharing these stories to, to their tribes, to their groups, to their communities, to their families, so on and so forth, then uh, we just have to rely as to how they were told. Now, we would like to, of course, highlight that the art of storytelling, as mentioned in this work of Professor Eugenio, has been cultivated in all ages and among all nations of which we have any record. It is the outcome of an instinct implanted universally in the human mind. So this is part of Edney Sydney Heartland's um, classic work called The Science of Fairy Tales. And we cannot take away history. We cannot take away anthropology. We cannot take away sociology when we study literature as, as we have mentioned over and over in the introduction to mythology. Now we move on of course to how this work of Professor Eugenio discusses um, folktales because our focus is going to be Philippine folktales. And here 
the the definition of folk tales was actually derived from um, the works of Bascom. And folk tales are prose narratives which are regarded as fiction, as compared to myths and legends which may hold truth in them because of dogma, because of being sacred, because of um, these narratives being accounts of the remote past which would be accepted by faith, making them truth by faith, these folk tales would relax such ideas. They are not considered as dogma or history. They, they may not have been taken seriously even until now, but still, it's important that they are noted because they are told over and over for amusement or for a specific function in a society or in a community or in a group of people. So in some folk tales, of course, there can also be presence of morals. There can also be different ideologies presented in the different tales. And we will unravel this in the variety of subtypes of folk tales. And it can be really confusing at first because we, we have several subtypes of folk tales. Folk tales and myths can already be difficult to distinguish. And here comes set of subtypes again for us to understand when it comes to dealing with folk tales but we'll try to make it as simple as we can when it comes to discussing them so now we move on as to establishing how these folk tales were discovered how they were um, recorded how we can actually consider one story to be a folk tale of a specific place because we know that there is an actual difficulty to recover what the pre-colonial period was able to contribute in the many, many folktales in the Philippines. And here, we proceed to where we can first identify the records of folktales we have in history. And we acknowledge here the presence of the Americans. Because they really um, contributed well in preserving the folktales in the Philippines. They were our first researchers who made sure that these stories are preserved and that they are recorded for us to be able to learn in, in this time. So no collection was published during the more than three centuries of Spanish rule. And for whatever reason which may be discussed further by the historians, being very much related to the study of literature, we know why the Spaniards would not encourage such culture of preserving the, the literature of the Philippines. For one, literature was used to organize a revolution against them. And we know because of the presence of the, the works of literature we have during the Spanish colonial era. And we don't need to discuss further about this because you know your Nolly, your Philly, and um, the rest of the other writings um, published during the, during the Spanish colonial era. 
So that's the the struggle here. But in the in the American um, era, the American colonial period, we were able to have this traditional narratives preserved because of the educators during this period. So of course, while we have a record of a folktale published during this period, but again, I do not claim that this is the only folktale during this time, but in so far as we are dealing with works being published, we are certain that in 1889, Jose Rizal was able to publish The Tortoise and the Monkey. And we know this as um, an example of a folktale that we study in, in grade school and probably even in high school. So um, this, of course, was published during this period. And we know why. Jose Rizal has the means. And we have a wide range of research about the works of Jose Rizal. But what about, of course, the other areas in the Philippines, unnoticed, with no means for their work to be published, for the stories to be known? So this is when we owe the first significant collections of folk narratives to the American teachers we had, of course, during the American occupation. Burton Maxfield and W.H. Millington were the ones who were able to collect these folk tales from their Filipino co-teachers and students and they were able to publish a total of 26 Visayan legends and folk tales. So um, aside from this, aside from this work from the Visayan region, we also have the works from the Tagalogs. So here, the person responsible is Fletcher Gardner. He was able to collect and publish a total of 23 folk tales, 12 legends, and two Tagalog versions of Cinderella and one version of Aladdin. So it's interesting that um, even if we claim Disney to be responsible of, of delivering to us this fairy tales, you know, Cinderella and Friends, it's actually written in our history that the Americans who, who were teaching in the Philippines during their colonization are also responsible for this being translated in the Filipino language or in this, to be specific, Tagalog for, for us to, to get to know these stories as part of instruction, most likely. So there. And um, another, we have... Um, a collection of Tagalog legends and folktales compiled by Lucetta Ratcliffe. So, um, again, an American teacher assigned in Laguna. So this, of course, um, became a, a, a part of the circulation of the different folktales and legends and other stories we have in the Philippines. And um, the manuscript is deemed to have transformed or renamed to the title The Laguna Sketchbook. So this is a collection of legends and folktales which later on uh, became a standard for expansion that it became known to us as Filipino folklore. So again, a collection of, of legends and folktales. 
So aside from American teachers who were actually responsible for the publishing of this um, folk tales and legends, we also have the anthropologists working for the Philippines. And we acknowledge Laura Watson Benedict's Bagobo myths. This has been discussed in my previous class with my students. But um, this is the, the Bagobo myths would contain eight heroic legends, 11 legends about the Buso who hunt graveyards, forests, and rocks, and animal tales. So um, um, it's basically a collection of, um, of stories also combination so it's like you're reading mythology of of bagobo and since everything is evolving even the way we collect this this uh, works which would uh, of course help preserve the folk tales in the philippines the highly regarded scholarly collection of legends and folk tales would always be um, attributed to dean s fansler and it is called the Filipino Popular Tales. So this is important because um, most of our folk tales would be in reference to what Fansler was able to collect, to research, publish later on. And this work was a product of what he was able to collect from Christian Filipino students in the University of the Philippines dating from 1908 to 1914. So that's how much Fansler has worked for for the Filipino popular tales to be published. So of course, the goal is to showcase the culture and tradition of the Philippines being rich in literature as well through folk tales where we can find a variety because of the Philippines being an archipelago. So, um, Fansler cited all the variant forms of analogs within his knowledge and pointed out possible influence and any striking motifs present in the tale. And now we move on to the classification of Philippine folk tales, where we have several groups which would categorize our folk tales in the Philippines. And we have the animal tales and fables as the first followed by the tales of magic or what we know as the mirshen and then we have novelistic tales or romantic tales and then we have religious and didactic tales humorous tales which can also be subdivided into trickster tales and numskull tales and of course we start with the animal tales and fables so here Thompson claims that Philippine animal tales are non-mythological stories in which human qualities are ascribed to animals designed usually to show the cleverness of one animal and the stupidity of another. And we know this because we also have our own fables or animal tales here in the Philippines. We have always regarded monkey to be to be wise you know sometimes always taking advantage we have always regarded the turtle or the tortoise to be hardworking you know just uh, following the goal conejo or rabbit may also have its own um, connotation 
based from these stories. And um, the same way that we know that in other fables of other countries, we also have um, connotations for them. Like the wolf being the antagonist for the three little pigs. And so, we begin with an example of how these absurd problems that the animals have in these tales would also show stupidity as part of the plot. Now, let's have an example of an animal tale here in the Philippines. So, it started with a crocodile convincing the monkey to ride his back and then convincing the monkey to give up his lungs so they needed to he asked the the crocodile that if if the crocodile wants the the lungs they would have to they will have to go back to the guava tree and get the lungs and the crocodile of course returns to the shore and the monkey escapes of course because um it it, it isn't really true and it, it it's what this is what makes the story absurd then um the the crocodile um once again thought of another way of capturing the monkey and in here while the monkey was taking a bath the crocodile was able to seize one of its legs but the 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 monkey said that he only has one cane so the, the the crocodile needs to to um let go of his leg which he told the crocodile to be a cane the crocodile being you know one stupid and gullible animal here in this tale let go of 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 the leg and so of course the monkey was able to to escape because he was able to make the crocodile believe that his leg is actually a cane. So this, you know, the stories can be this absurd. And you will see that their problems are actually, you know, nonsense to a certain extent. And yet, they deliver stories. And if you will be sharing this with children, of course, they will be fascinated. And they will be entertained about this. So there. So that's an example of an animal tale which we have in the Philippines also. Alright? So now we move on to fables. Just to distinguish this a bit, fables have always been described or characterized to be having morals applicable to humanity. So it's as if animals are being used to, to deliver a message or, as mentioned here, morals, which would um, pertain to how humanity must um, prosper and we have here probably something you have learned in grade school the grasshopper and the ant so what happens here is that the typical story of the ant being associated with hard work and the ant being able to store food in preparation for the rainy season course the grasshopper ends up not having anything to eat as compared to the hardworking ant who never stopped working before the rainy season came okay and we, we have many more many more tales and um, this would include the eagle and the ant the horse and the carabao and many more 
And now we shall move on to the Mershen or the Tales of Magic. Mershen is fairy tale. So this means that there would be an, an inclusion of entities or supernatural beings being able to, to perform some magic that would um, complete the plot of the tale. And we have many Philippine Mershen also here as part of some local versions of internationally known folk tales. And we have the helpful monkey. We also have swan maiden, animal spouse, the indolent husband, and many more. Of course, we can't let go of the international fairy tales we know that actually had versions in, in the Philippines. And this would um, include how we have appreciated these tales because they were contextualized. They were Filipinized, if I may use the term. So, for instance, we have several versions of Cinderella. In the previous episode, we have a version of um, Cinderella from Egypt. And we also have our own versions. But of course, this would be relatable for Filipinos if we can contextualize them. So in, in one of the versions we have here, the friendly helper is not a fairy godmother, but the heroine's mother in the form of a crab. And um, of course, the, the heroine here would also show some of the activities that uh, the Filipinos Filipinas would be doing, especially during the ancient times, like washing clothes in the river, a very typical household task of Philippine village girls. So even the tasks given by the heroine in one summer version reflects the kind of hard work that barrio people have to do, pounding palay, slaughtering a pig, and cooking it, etc. Other local touches may also be noted like the hero is not always a prince or a king in the later version he is the son of the richest man in bye bye in another just a handsome young man and of course the meeting would not only happen in a ball because we don't have such um grand ball in in the philippine context so in here it can be in in the form of how it may take place in church or festivals different gatherings where we can see most of the things that can only happen in the Philippines. And now we move on to novelistic tales. So novelistic tales would be distinguished from Mershen by not having supernatural element or any form of magic. Since um, in Mershen there is some presence of supernatural happenings here, the, the novelistic tales would focus on human wit and intelligence. So this is what makes it different from the, the other category or classification. And here we have the tales, you know, because there are also different subgroups. We have um, tales about this clever heroine entrapping her suitors and many more. So here we have the tales featuring a clever peasant girl, um, the sagacious Marcella, where uh, Marcella impresses the king 
with her sagacity that he marries her to his son. So there are different um, tests given by uh, the king for Marcella to do. And they were absurd tests, you know, impossible tests that if you will come to think of it, it's, it's impossible to actually accomplish them. So there, um, in, in, in this tale, Marcella showcases her sagacity that she was able to outwit the king. So if you encounter folk tales like this, because there, there are several sub, subgroups here, you know, when, when um, ladies would be outwitting their suitors or they will be able to entrap their suitors. Also tales about fidelity of lovers and the vindication of the innocent. They may be considered as subgroups of um, narrative tales. And um, also we have, of course, um, tales which would include pieces of advice. So whether they are found correct or, or not, um, still they fall under these um, subgroups. Next in line would be the religious didactic tales. When we talk about um, didactic tales, we are dealing with um, tales intended to teach a lesson, to instruct. And this is usually being related to religious tales because in religion, we also try to deliver a message that this is what you're supposed to do because this is what is right or morally right. At least in in practicing the belief in such religion. So of course the the present theme here would include goodness being rewarded and cruelty being punished. So if you encounter folk tales where such theme is emphasized, you know the delivery of of establishing lessons, something to to embody something to follow then you would know that it is religious didactic tales and um, if especially if you know that there is a presence of gods and goddesses in a certain religion then definitely you would know that there is an attempt to teach what is right and wrong at least in practicing such religion and now finally we have the human trickster tales so, aside from having trickster tales um, told in tales involving animals, we also have human trickster tales. And here, the trickster is not very much an, an admirable um, character because the trickster would usually have its own flaw. And you know, of course, we have um, the rich stories of one, one taman, the adventures of one, and many more other versions, which may also be found in the different regions in the Philippines. So we have one pelandok and many other um, uh, versions of it. But of course, um, we can uh, further unravel this by having um, certain examples. So even in human trickster tales, we have the archetypes with the presence of different versions of one in different regions. A Visayan one, Kapampangan one, Tagalog one, and many more. So numbskull tales would suggest usually hilarious situations, something that would be really absurd, but at the same time, they um, just they are there to, to entertain listeners of the tales. 
And of course, aside from the famous one tamad, we also have the Seven Crazy Fellows, which is a version of Pangasinan. And many more. We have several um, versions of this definitely to contextualize the different regions also in the Philippines. So you see, the, the Philippine folktales is very rich because of the primarily because of the geographical structure of the Philippines. It's it's rich because the collections can have different subgroups, different collections based on the stories we can find in different places in the Philippines. And so, um, we end this introduction to the folk tales of the Philippines and uh, we thank, of course, the work of the mother of the Philippine folklore, Professor Damiana Eugenio, because um, her, her work has significantly helped us study the richness of the Philippine literature because it's really difficult to study Philippine literature in one sitting because of how much records we have and how much accounts yet to be uh, discovered. So I will be publishing another episode where you will be able to get to know a folktale from the Philippines since our theme now or we're, we're still discussing Philippine folktale. So there you have it everyone. Thank you very much for listening. Bye!